Hello and welcome everyone to another InventRight TV show. My name is Andrew Krauss. I co-founded InventRight with Stephen Key over two decades ago. And we have a gentleman, he calls himself Perry the Inventor, which is, a, 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 is that your last name, the Inventor? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> I, I found that, um, you, know, you know, introducing yourself is very awkward as an inventor. Uh, so I just tagged along the two uh, words, Perry, the inventor together. And we I actually own a trademark on it, so it's a registered trademark. That's cool. That's fun. So, Yeah, it, it, and it works very well because when I introduce myself, you know, somebody will say, hi, I'm, you know, Andrew. And I'll say, oh, I'm Perry, the inventor. And then the first question everyone asks is what? What'd you invent? You know, so then you could start talking about whatever projects you're interested in it makes a, a lot of fun and people remember you yeah yeah so okay so you own a, a company called perry terry toys llc that's a fun name um and you've done a lot of things though you you do licensing you do venturing which is a fancy way of saying make it and sell yourself um and i just thought you'd be an interesting person to interview you know so but you got this perry terry toys llc and what's your main focus right now? Is it is it on toys? Is it on other things? You know, you, you had mentioned to me you kind of do whatever you feel like, which I like. You didn't put it that way. You said yeah, whatever, no, I, whatever moves you. Well, you know, you can invent things that move the world and you can invent things that just, you know, make you and your aunt, you know, Rebecca giggle, right? Right. So at some point you have to decide what type of inventor you're going to be. Are you going to be an inventor that changes the world or are you going to be an inventor that, you know, just makes bubbles? So I have um, quite a, I have an interest in helping kids learn to be better humans through play. And that was why we formed the toy company. And if you take a look at the different toys that we've uh, made and promoted, our goal is to give kids skills that they could use when they get older mm. to be better human beings. Um, and, you know, at the same point, inventors are very um, interested and productive in solving problems. So I'm always looking for great problems to solve. Um, I write a lot on LinkedIn, so I try and share my knowledge to help others do the same. Uh, but the goal is essentially to equalize the balance of power between major companies and you know inventors, giving the inventors a larger share of the revenue that they should be getting, helping them move their better products to market and ditch the old ones. And I work to do the same. So it, it's a mix of everything, but the whole goal is making the world better and humanity better. And it starts with Perry Terry toys and kids. I love it, I love it. So I just pulled one, um video from one of your products, the cut it out product on your website. So I thought we could play that really quick and it's like 30 seconds. So let's take a look here. Cut, color and create, cut it out. What will you create? Cut it out. Giants magically lift it off the page. Cut it out. Cut it out. Markers magically color and cut. Using your imagination, you can make unlimited creations. Cut, color and create. It's that easy. Fun to use, even more fun to show off and share. Cut it out cut design it studio out. comes with cut everything you see here. Refills and play sets sold separately. Adult supervision required. What will you create? Cut it out. Alright, we're back. That's a cool product, Perry. That's um it, it's safe, I guess, huh? Is that what's the benefit yes. of this product? Yes. 
So I'm left-handed. Uh, uh, you know, there's a small percentage of the world that's left-handed. And we were designing scissors, you know, for a company. And scissors are an arcane device, okay? They work. Average Home owns seven of them, and <laughs> nobody knows where and when they got them. Uh, but they're not the best way to cut. They use a very weird method of, of cutting, and each time you close the blade, there's a sound they make, which is called the run. Mm. And it's that sound that everyone goes, oh, those are really sharp. But what mm. that sound is actually doing is dulling both of the blades simultaneously, mm. you know. So we started to look into it, and we did a massive, you know, review of scissors and how they were made, and, you know, found out about them in Egypt and all that other nonsense. And I was sitting in front of uh, my computer at the time designing a pair of scissors that were ergonomic. And I said, this is nonsense, right? Because I have to design them for everyone else, not me, because I'm left-handed. I just want to be able to draw the shape on a piece of paper and pull it from the page. Mm. And so I took the uh, junk drawer uh, that I had in my office and I dumped it on my desk and I pulled apart a whole bunch of um, different elements and 14 minutes and I think 28 seconds later I had the first prototype so from that you know we went through and started honing our, our, our process of launching products and um, you know the the neat thing is we shifted people's interest especially kids from drawing which the drawings that the kids make are useless you know parents put them eagerly on refrigerators I, I've done it myself but that's it. You can't do anything with them. As a kid, that's the end of it. And what we decided to do is make it where they're building, you know, so mm. they're taking a piece of paper, they're cutting it into shapes, they're assembling the shapes into flowers and costumes and jewelry and all kinds of other things that teach them, you know, that the world is something to form to your liking, to create, to build, to generate new things from your own hands. And the younger we can start kids doing that, the better we will be, you know, as a society and as a planet. Yeah, so and I can tell you my nine-year-old daughter would love that because it's, it's, it's a pain. Scissors are a bit of a pain, and you're not dulling it when you're just cutting the paper nearly as much as if you have those two scissors moving back and forth and it's constantly dulling it. It's not the funnest motion for kids to do for long periods of time, but if they're literally just drawing... I just love that product. That's pretty cool. So now you've, in your career, you've both licensed and ventured products, which, you know, license them for royalties. And this one you're selling yourself, right? And some yes. some people will call you crazy for trying to do your own toy because it's very competitive, right? So can you talk a little bit about that? Why you, you most inventors, when they're in toys, they license. And I'm assuming you're doing that as well. But this one you, you ventured and what's the upsides and downsides of that? So it's, it's really interesting. We're, you know, as inventors, we're shown a view of reality that doesn't exist. Uh, if you think about famous, famous inventors and you ask people, you know, who's the most famous inventor, you know, they might say, you know, Doc from Back to the Future, right? Who's this <laughs> fictional character who, you know, understands, you know, nuclear physics and all this stuff and creates time machines. And that's the view that people have of inventors. Right. Uh, very few people would say Dean Kamen. You know, younger kids will say Thomas Edison because of, you know, school. They get a nice book, you know, who invented stuff. They won't know about Tesla, right? 
So um, the idea of being frightened of competition is simply because most inventors don't understand how competition works. If you have the absolute best product in the market, then the competition should be afraid of you. It shouldn't be that the inventor is afraid of the competition. So typically what I'll do with a product is I'll go and prototype it. I, I do a thing I call one ten hundred thousand. I make the first one to see if I like it. This is ugly, cheap, you know, hot glue, duct tape, you know, wrapped uh, paper clips together just to see if it works. And if it works, I get really excited, but I don't usually tell anyone. I write in my little journal what happened, you know, and then I begin to make you know, the next set, which is usually several, up to 10. I'll make three or four of them. Then I'll go and I'll let other people try them and see if they like them. So I make one to see if I like it, 10 to see if others like it. Then I'll make up to 100 or so to see if they sell. And if I cannot sell 100, then there's no way I'm going to sell a million of them. So, at, you know, at that point, I make a go or no with it. Typically, around that time, companies will take notice of what I'm doing. Uh, at one trade show, you know, we had a booth, and we got in trouble by the fire marshal because we had accidentally blocked an entire aisle with the crowd we created, and so nobody could get by. Nobody could get by, and he said, "If you block an aisle, I'm throwing you out." Okay, so we had to go and make a long line from our booth all the way down to the the main line. Um, at that event. Uh, you know, a company came to us and, and licensed it. So we'll go and move a really good product as far ahead as we can, and that increases interest in licensing, and it also increases the deal we can negotiate. What? Um, so what percentage of your products have you ventured and sold yourself and manufactured yourself, and what percentage have you licensed? Is it majority licensing or...? or? So, it's 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 quite a bit more licensing because mm -hmm. I could do that faster. Mm -hmm. um, but every now and again, you get something that you really like um, or something that the market doesn't yet understand. And at that point, it pays to begin moving that product into the market in some way. You don't have to make millions of them. Uh, the first cutters that we made, we actually bought X-Acto blades and um, mm. vice grips, and we printed out te uh, templates on label stock, covered each blade, and then hand cut them with a Dremel to shape. Oh. And we could make about 80 blades, you know, in a day, and it was terrible work. It was really a pain to do it that way. Uh, so then we went, we changed, you know, and, and our cost at that time was dollars per blade. And then we went and we changed to a new method that got it got our cost down to 75 cents a blade. And that was where we had a laser company laser cut the blades for us. And so now we could order them by the thousands. They set up an automated machine and it just cut them. And then once we got, we had an order for almost 100,000 uh, units. And so at that point, we had to pay 10 grand, get the drive. I'm glad we're having this conversation because there's a really big difference in, in licensing a product. And it's that big company's money, workforce, existing distribution. And you, with the, with the cut it out product, um, selling it yourself. Because now you need to do all the things you don't need to do when you're licensing, right? You have to have distribution. You have to have 
you know, cash flow to handle the manufacturing. There's a lot of things to do. So many people think, oh, I'll just get it made. It's like, well, what about your sales force? What about getting it done? What about inventory sitting around, all that sort of thing? But you're, I think you're one of those inventors that you're up for either of them. But you see the advantages and difficulties of both. I mean, that seems to be the case. And you're, you're capable of doing venturing. Some in, in inventors, like, they're like, I don't want to do that. I'm, I could never do that, you know? Well, there, there's a huge amount. I agree with you 100%. There's, and there's a huge amount of misnomers in the inventor community. Um, there's this um, optimism that is really unearned. You know, so I'm not a blindly optimistic person because I know that there's so many things that can go wrong, uh, in, including silly stuff. Like I made one pair of scissors that was, they were beautiful. They were gorgeous and they cut beautifully. And I would give them to people, really smart people, and they would put their thumb in the big hole and their forefingers in the small hole every time. And the first thing they would say is, this is uncomfortable. And I'm like, well, you're holding it upside down. Right? <laughs> so the first guy who did that, I'm like, okay, he's nuts. Uh, but then the then a second person did it and a third person did it. And I said, okay, something looks different about this. You know, so a lot of inventors would get mad at the people. We, we got mad at the product design and we changed it. And then that solved that problem. Right, right. That is fascinating. Yeah, you, you wrote an article recently, which I, I love the beginning of it. And you said inventors do themselves a big disservice. I say this all the time. When they say things like, oh, if I only if we only get they're pitching like a potential licensee, if I only get two percent of the market, we'll make millions. And you, you mentioned that that does them a huge disservice. Why is that? Some people would say, well, that's true. Why can't I say that? So um, there's this really interesting thing that that I've learned is that everything works in your head. Right. You know, you, you got this <laughs> idea. I, I'm going to pay. I'm going to buy the charity ticket. I'm going to face off against Michael Jordan on the court on one-on-one, -on -one, and I'm going to get a point off him. And the truth is, you're probably not going to get a point off of Michael Jordan, right? You're not going to walk into the boxing ring with no experience and stare down Mike Tyson and then walk <laughs> out. They're going to carry you out. So the <laughs> idea is that you want to eliminate whoever you're talking to. You want to eliminate their disbelief of your nonsense, and the way to do that is I, I developed this system that I use all the time. It's called a punch presentation. Huh. And it's the way I do my presentations. And so there's only about three seconds I have to get someone's attention. So I make sure in the presentation something shocking happens in the first three seconds. And then the next phase of that is we begin the discussion about it. And I have like the priorities for what I reveal. A lot of things in it we don't reveal, but we set it up so that we create the question in the person's head and then they'll ask, hmm. you know, for it. And then at that point, somebody's if somebody's asking you a question, they're interested in the answer. And so that that's how. What are you uh, doing this? You're doing this on Zoom. You're doing it in a video. You're doing it in person or any of them. Yeah. Well, so the uh, the. The punch presentations are mostly done in pitch meetings. Um, we'll use them in videos. Um, when, we, when we make a video, they're done on our sizzle reels. Uh, mm. They're set up so that we answer all the questions and eliminate all of the doubt that the yeah. 
I love that. I call that doing a preemptive strike on their on their doubts. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's that's, like that's, it sounds like military, which I'm not a military guy, but it sounds a little <laughs> military preemptive strike. But but if you if you can anticipate what you think their objections might be, like why wouldn't you put that in there? You know, and and what you're also doing is you're stating a question where you kind of like know where they're going to go as well ahead of time, and then you're answering it. So you're 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 it's a weird way to say it, but you're controlling their mind a bit. <laughs> you're controlling their. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's not so much it's not so much exactly mind control, but what we're <laughs> just what we're actually, being silly. Yeah. Yeah, what, what we're actually working to do is just help people better understand the, you know, the, the product and the opportunity. And it came to me one time because I pitched a um, executive a really amazing revolutionary product idea. And the person said to me, no one does it like that. And I said to him, you have the right, you know, the right words, but your intonation is terrible. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, you're supposed to say, no one does it like that. This uh -huh. is be a winner, you know. So um, we, we end up having to just reframe things a lot. Um, I, yeah. I had at one trade show, we had about 60 people in line waiting to buy a product that I made. And there was a person standing who he was a VP from another major company. And he was standing about 12 feet away from the booth watching all this. And he was talking to himself out loud, which is kind of funny. But he said, <laughs> he said, this invention is ridiculous. Nobody's going to buy it. And then the person who was writing out a check, you know, a store was writing out a check to buy three dozen, <laughs> finished the check and then held it up and waved it at him. <laughs> And it was just hysterical because, you know, in his brain, nobody would nobody would buy it. But we right. had us, you know, we signed up, I think, 160 vendors at that event. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's great. So uh, let's see. Oh, so when you're I want to talk, ask you a question about mindset. So, you know, um, everybody wants to make a million dollars off one product overnight. Uh, when you're doing a toy or doing something, so are you going for that? Are you hoping to get that? Is that your goal? Or are you just going, hey, I'm just going to sell as many as I can? Like, what, what's your mindset when you work on a new product? Well, all right. First of all, I'm super stoked that you asked that because the number one problem inventors have is, you know, mindset, attitude. It, you know, that that's the number one problem they have. If you just focus on money, you come up with stupid ideas that if somebody pitched them to you, you would shut them down. So, you know, you can make the product cheaper, like you can cheapen it and increase the money, but mm -hmm. less people will buy it. So that's a stupid idea. You can leave out functionality that is really useful. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're just doing that to save some money, that's probably a stupid idea. Because then you're gonna, your sales are gonna be less. So at each point where they're focusing on just make just the money, they're making garbage. And what I always say is, you know, we work on making fun, 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 functional, 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 functional. You know, and then profits down here. Mm -hmm. it, it's it's safety, fun, functional, and then the profits, the last thing you you look at. 
Um, there's a lot of things that are made that never make a, you know, a penny. Um, if you look at Facebook, it was many years that it bled money, you know, just to build the mass in order for it to make money now. So if they're just going, I want to build a website and I want to make a million bucks, you know, well, you're not smart enough to do what, you know, Zuckerberg did with, with Facebook. Um, you have to you have to resoundingly solve the problem in such a cool way that people fight for the product. Uh, we were at one event. I made this toy that shot discs in a certain weird way. It was kind of fun. And I only had four of them, and it was a maker's fair, one, one of the first, you know, handful mm. of maker's fair. And they gave me this 10 by 10 area, and uh, I, only had, I only brought 40s, it was all I could make. And I have kids going, and then I turn around and look, and one kid's holding the other kid by his shirt and gonna punch him in the face. And I'm like, dude, what's going on? You know, he's like, he won't share. I'm like, okay. Everyone's got to share. So, you know, he had to make lines in there. Um, it cost, you know, it cost us money to go to the event, to set it up, to do the stuff. We're focused on getting that moment first. The money comes later. Right. I hope that's your question. Yeah. So, so basically what I'm learning here, Perry, is that if kids get in fist fights over your toys, then you know it's good. <laughs> I'm yeah. just kidding. That wasn't the point you're trying to make. Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> well, they have, they, have a, this, uh, they have a rule that's like a... a an eight minute rule. And if you do a focus group and kids stay with one toy for more than eight minutes, then that toy is a very good toy. Oh, um, and we actually had product where the kids wouldn't give it back after like 45 minutes and we would have to have a discussion with them. Like, <laughs> no, we really need that one back. You know, that's a prototype that can't go anywhere. Um, so, so, so you know, I mean, I always say you, you, it's a total cliche, but you do what you love. The money will come. So, um, I would add what you were saying is, especially with toys, it's got to be fun. It's got to be functional, 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 and then it's got to be at the right price. But don't do it just for the money. You'll come up with stupid stuff. And I, I don't find, I mean, you've probably known a lot of inventors over the year. I don't find in years, I don't find inventors, most true inventors, they don't just create stuff to make money. Like they want to make money. But they're like passionate about coming up with ideas. And so their main first focus is not like, will I make more money on this one than this one? I don't think it's a bad thing to think about. And you're saying you're practical. You think about things like that. But I don't think it's their main focus. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think if they're really passionate about their products, they study the marketplace, look at all the other products, make sure it makes sense. And hey, it makes sense. Go for it. And it doesn't have to be the million dollar hit you kind of never really know which one's going to be and most aren't going to be a million dollars overnight you know um what are your thoughts yeah you know i i think where money gets into the equation is it it kind of bleeds into all aspects of what the inventor is doing and it consumes them mm. so they end up starting out wanting to make a really cool paint roller and then the next thing you know, they're looking up, well, how big is the market for paint? You know, well, it's a billion dollar market worldwide. Okay, so now I'm thinking I can get a piece of that. I, you know, what size yacht should I be getting? And what size <laughs> airplane should I buy? And you, they, they lose their interest in, you know, actually making the best product. Mm. Uh, so, you know, we, when, when I'm working on something, my whole goal is to make a product that is, 
essentially bulletproof. So the kids like it uh, or the adults like it. It does exactly what we say it's going to do. It handles all the problems that will pop up. And we have you know, a five times manufacturing cost to MSRP so that it hits all of those tick marks on there. Um, then the next thing I'll do is I'll see if I can get sales because the quickest way to stop somebody from thinking your product won't sell is to show them well, sales. Well, let me, let me ask you that. I'll play devil's advocate on that one. Most of our InventRite students, they've never sold a single one. They just have a virtual prototype, a lot of them. Sometimes they have prototypes, of course. Um, and, and I say sometimes like, well, you're not gonna impress anybody selling 50 units. Like that almost looks like, I mean, the marketing manager, hey, the sky's the limit. We got this product. Yeah, it makes sense. I think this is going to sell. So I'll play devil's advocate here. If you're like selling 50 units, like is that impressing anybody? Or are you doing it to get reviews and to get feedback and then you can put some of those reviews? Like why do you why do you do that? If you And do you do it all the time or just sometimes? Yeah, so, so there's a lot of interesting things that happen in a sale. Uh, first of all, if the 50 units are sold to mom, then get out of here. It's worthless, okay? Um, if the 50 units are sold to, you know, the robotics club at a uh, university and they're used in a curriculum, well, damn, I mean, that's, that's impressive. That's something that shows that intelligent people are using the product. Mm. So you need to find out a couple things. One is um, by selling the units to the right people, you find out what people are willing to pay for the product. And most inventors don't know what the product should actually sell for, which is different than five times cost. Five, five times cost is minimum. Right. So we, we had a problem, that, uh, a product that we made for 68 cents each, and we found that the correct selling price was 6.99. So it was 10 times manufacturing cost. Mm -hmm. uh, so we would never have known that unless we went and tried to sell some of them. Um, I, I had one product one time where I had the idea going home at night and I said, man, this is a great idea, but I'm driving. So I'm like, I'm repeating in my head so I don't forget it. And then I get home and I write it down. I could barely sleep. So the next day at like four in the morning, I just, I get up, I jump out of bed, I leave a note for the wife. I gotta go make a prototype, right? So I go into the shop, I grab some scrap plastic, I run a CNC thing, I get this prototype made and I'm assembling it and it's about nine in the morning at this you know, time. And I start using it and the post lady comes in and uh, she goes, where'd you get that? And I go, oh, it's something that we're making and selling. And she goes, how much are they? And I go, 20 bucks, but this is the last one. And she goes, I'll give you 20 bucks for that. And she bought it from me right there. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so I'm like, okay, this is cool and 20 bucks is the right price. So I took a ride over to Home Shopping Network and showed it to the buyer and said, we already have sales at 20 bucks. And she said, great, I'll take 5,000 at 10 bucks a piece. So we sold 5,000 units uh, from that. Nice, uh, and that's there's a big difference between what you just explained and people thinking they can just post their product on Facebook and see if people click like. That doesn't mean anything in my opinion. What do you, right. I mean, it, 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 when you ask people to actually open up their wallet, there's a big difference between that and somebody liking a social media post. But some inventors are so desperate for confirmation that people like their product, like they think that means something. And I personally don't. I think if they open up their wallet, that means something. 
I 100% I agree with you. Yeah. The um, the the most interesting thing is a bad product sold by a likable inventor will get likes. Um, they'll throw the product out. You know, they won't buy a second one. They yeah. won't tell. They'll tell their friends that the person's nice, but don't buy the product. But you know, a, a product that's really good, um, and the inventor's just okay. You know, it's like oh that that person's just like you know. Uh, plain white bread, you know, nothing yeah. special. About <laughs> but at the same time, you don't, you know, you're, you're a fascinating guy, but to be a good inventor, I don't, you don't need to be a captain of industry. You don't need to be super incredibly articulate or bright. You just need to be creative, I think. Um, and, you know, we have tools at InventRight that we guide people. You do use a one-page sell sheet, a PDF. That sells for you. If you're terrible at pitching, great. Or a short video, you know, you can do the video 20 times only once it worked out. Well, that's the one you're going to show. So I, I truly believe that inventors don't need to be captains of industry. They don't need to be engineers. They don't need to be super technical. They don't need to be great business people. Um, and they can use their creativity. You need to get smarter. You need to learn things. You need to use common sense. You need to study the marketplace. But um, I don't believe they need to be incredibly competent in every area in every way i think as you license more products you're going to get better but i think anybody can get started so that's my last question for you do you believe anybody with the right attitude and the right steps can license products yes we, we live in a, an amazing time and we have an amazing profession so um, i was speaking at one of the um, elementary schools and I said, who here wants to be a doctor when they grow up? And some kids raise their hand. Who here wants to be an attorney? And they raise their hand. You know, who here wants to be a fire person? They raise their hand. And I said, okay, who can do that job right now? <laughs> you said this to grade school kids? Yeah. Oh, that's and funny. Like, we can't. We're too little. <laughs> school kids are, are the most honest people on the planet. You can just have a discussion with them. And they're smarter than people think. So they picked right up on it and they're like, I can't be a fireman. I'm only eight, you know, and we're like, OK, exactly. But we're going to show you how to invent. And right today you can be an inventor. Oh, and, I love it. Yeah. So we gave all of them, um, you know, we gave all of them the um, the different uh, like composition books. Everyone got a composition right. book and some markers. And then we told them, here's how you do your inventing. And uh, I, I spent. Um, over a decade researching how innovation happens. Mm. And I built this very simple system that lets anyone innovate. And so I taught it to the kids and pretty soon they're inventing all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it was very interesting. One little girl invented something and I said, all right, this is, this is worth some money. I'm your witness. I'm gonna sign this piece of paper. Your parents should get a patent search on it. I think you got something here, you know? So actually, interesting enough, she didn't do anything with it. And years later, she contacted me and said, did you steal this invention? And I said, no, why? And she goes, you didn't come out with it? I said, no. She goes, it's on the market. I said, I told you it was a good invention. Yeah, you know, it was going to come she, out eventually. Talk to your parents about it, right? But she's a little kid. She's not going to do anything. You know, she couldn't do anything with it. You know, the, the idea is anyone can invent. What you actually need is just a passion for finding the best solution for that problem. Hmm. And it needs to be a problem that other people will enjoy the benefit of that solution, right? And if you can get those two things together, you can work everything else 
into into place. Perry, that's a great way to wind things up. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, you're, you're, you're a fun guy, you're a smart guy, you're, you're a passionate guy about what you're doing. And, um, but you know, one thing that I think separates you from a, from a new inventor is you're, you're not just passionate about your products, you're passionate about the process as well. And you're into the process. And I would say most inventors probably like, I mean, I don't know if this is accurate. Tell me this is accurate. Um, yes, I'm passionate about my products, Andrew, but I, and I don't always like every little detail I need to take care of to make things happen, but I know there's no choice. And you, you like most successful inventors have accepted that you need to do a bunch of little piddly stuff that is not as much fun as brainstorming the idea and you have no choice and you accept it and maybe enjoy it most of the time, maybe sometimes not so much. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, so all right, so I, I have a very interesting way of looking at this. There's like you get different highs at each stage. Hmm. So you come up with the invention and you write it in your journal and you're like stoked. And that was the best experience you ever had, you know, in the past, you know, in your life maybe. Uh, but that's not as cool as when you see it work the first time. So hmm. you ha you wrote it down, you're excited, but now you see it in the real world and it actually works. And now that's that's even an even bigger high. You're more excited about it. And then the next phase is you let someone else use it. And then they are more, they're more excited about it than you were. So now that's even more excited. And then you have some company manufacturing them. You go see the production line and now they're just flying off the line. Oh, you're then, missing another high when you get that initial interest. You haven't closed the deal. I'd say that's a high, but somebody's showing interest and you're like, oh, this could happen, right? Before you even yeah, license. I'm, I'm a Yeah, I'm a little immune to interest. Because, yeah, okay, all right. You don't. You try not to make that a high because then you come right. Okay, I hear you. Yeah, well, you know, I, I found that if if I if I make that a high, then I chase that. Yeah. And that's not that's a waste of my time. So um, what I like I, what that. I do is I, I chase that next phase and I get excited about it. Right. And if, if you're working on good products, it's easy to be excited, you know. So when we are making something that lets kids create. Um, it, we were, we were at this event, uh, maker's fair for Barnes and Noble, and they did a maker's fair event. Um, we had some of our cutters there and we were showing these different kids, you know, all these kids from these different schools, how to, how to do stuff. And, um, I, my, the, my colleague who I was working with made this, this beautiful flower crown, like it was a work of art, you know, it was unbelievable. And this 12-year-old uh, little girl, and I'll tell you how I know she's 12, came over and said, oh, I like this crown. I'm going to take it. And my uh, colleague went, whoa, like that was like four hours like to make, you know. So um, I came, you know, I said, hey, we don't take, we trade. You know, what, you got something to trade, you know? So she, <laughs> she said, I'll do a dance. I said, all right, if we like the dance, we'll do a trade. If we don't like the dance, you're going to have to dance again or do something else. So she's, okay, great. So she did a dance and we were like, okay, that was really good. All right, so we'll do the trade. So then another little girl who's 12 looks at me and goes, um, she made the crown. She did the dancing. You did a lot of talking and nothing else, right, about me. So I looked at her and said, well, I could say I made this, but I won't. I won't. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you something that I could do. And I... I have this very simple way of using a single line, you know, piece of art. 
and it's real it's really quite amazing and so i make it but you can't see what it is until i turn it a certain way mm. so i make it and then i leave it there and i go look what i did and she's like what's like are you okay like is this someone <laughs> So then I turn it around and I see her whole face change. Her eyes get big, her mouth opens, oh my, you know. And then she's like looking at it and now it changed her dynamics. And then she sat there for 40 minutes and just worked on it until she could do it. Hmm. So by me chasing those moments, by me seeing how my invention betters the world, how my invention changes a kid, you know, from being somebody who is combative or somebody mm. who is argumentative or um, somebody who is, um, you know, you know, mm. not not impressionable to make them a little impressed and then to, to have them build a skill right in front of me. Like it's the best thing. Well, in the world. And I, I like the way you define changing the world. It's not curing cancer necessarily, though. That's great. But it's it's changing a little kid's perception of, of learning or being argumentative or being open to new thoughts and stuff like that. So I think a lot of people have pretty simple products and and I think they can. They are changing the world in a, in a little way. They're bringing a smile to somebody's face. They're making somebody think differently, um, making a task a little bit easier. And that does change the world a little bit. And no, not every product's going to cure cancer. But um, but I think I like I really like the way you define changing the world, because I think it's going to motivate inventors that much more. I think a lot of inventors already feel like they're going to change the world with their invention. They all have only got 2% of the market. We'll make billions, you know? So sometimes people go too far there, but um, Perry, thank you so much. I would love to have you back. You're a lot of fun and not just because you have a cool shirt because you got a lot of fun stuff to share and <laughs> I'd love to have you back and uh, remind everybody to take care, keep inventing and we'll catch up with you next time. Bye. There's a great idea in each of us. But it's truly magical to see it come to life. Sharing your creativity with the world has never been easier. We can help.